The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Nashville Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com, as well as MMA Junkie Radio. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, very quickly, because we don't have much time before the fight. It's only being recorded about, eh, 25 uh, hours before, uh, 26 hours, as I say, before uh, showtime. Two showtimes on this card, eh? That's right, UFC Nashville, uh, UFC and ESPN Plus 6, UFC Fight Night 140-something. And um, I was almost like not going to do a breakdown episode for this. Uh, I'll save you the excuses, but just between the... I was on some crazy antibiotics this week anyways. Had a, some kind of viral thing. Ended up being an ear infection, which I guess is rare in adults. They put me in some gnarly antibiotics that pretty much had your boy like on the wonks all week between that and for some reason Nashville cards in general just, I have a hard time getting through them I, I just I, I, maybe not the one last year that I can remember but the, I remember the one two years before that I was it was just such a slog I think it was like Lobov Swanson and I was like ah and um, I just I felt like I was like okay there's the main there's the co-main I'm like oh this must be the, the prelim fight that's next oh this must be a, oh it's just all prelim fights um, after that, it feels like. Obviously, obviously, Devison Figueredo and Juicy Formiga. This is a very exciting one. We'll get to that here in a second. We're going to go from top to bottom as per usual. Going uh, uh, gonna to spare you the recap, although uh, how awesome was that uh, Jorge Masvidal win? It's always nice. Uh, oh, th- Those underdog picks feel good, especially when you drop off a nice envelope. So when you go into work, you, you pick up an envelope. And I say that because... Junkie Radio is right by the sports book there, so thank you, Game Brad. And another reason, aside from me being late, we're, we're going to skip that recap. is because I already recapped it with uh, Dan Levy over on his podcast, Half the Battle. Uh, I, I retweeted that. Looks like a lot of you guys uh, dug that. Thank you, Dan. And uh, missed Shaq and Kyle, but shouts to those guys as well. Those dudes are consistent grinders. Make sure you check out their show. I'm sure they already have an episode out for this week. Um for that stuff so uh but i'm gonna give you guys my thoughts real quick we're gonna blow through this this is gonna be an under 45 minute episode for sure um you could probably peek and see if i can hold me to that now and say hi you're full of shit dan or oh wow dan's actually right this week not a lot of strong opinions um bellator is going down tonight and i actually did make some plays there sadly enough uh i just took a shot on old vassal looking jacked going up to heavyweight and uh I think that's going to be a positive trend for him against um, Moldovsky or whatever the Russian guy is. Just, I wasn't impressed by his record and really looking at him. not proven yet. I know he's a Fedor team guy or whatever. Uh, but, yeah. And then uh, I got Emmanuel Sanchez in the like lone parlay I did this weekend. But I will give you the two parlay pieces who I like just because they're just it's more just a, a fade on who they're, they're, they're facing. 
to be polite, and those, of course, are the national cards. So, without further, let's get to it, yeah? All right, um, headlining up top, we got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson as the favorite, minus 350, and Anthony Pettis moving up to welterweight, come back on him. Uh, plus 290, a little bit of money came in on Showtime, because why not? I, I don't think anybody's really, you know, even though if you feel it's a bad matchup for Pettis like I do, I don't know if you're confident enough to bet, you know, upwards of minus 300 on, on a guy like Wonderboy. And I like Wonderboy, obviously, but I'm just saying. Uh, you know, Pettis looks like he's really confident, and I'm sure he is. I'm sure he actually is motivated. I know, you know, coaches will say, oh, this is the best camp we've had. I actually would believe that. Um, you know, th this seems like a matchup where Anthony Pettis would kind of come to life, you know. I actually made a point to really go back and watch early stuff of his just to kind of see how he is moving. And, yeah, man, uh, Anthony Pettis really, really likes the traditional style movings, and he was, you know, he had uh, more of that traditional martial arts swag uh, himself, if you will. Uh, more so, you know, obviously in later years, uh, Duke Rufus. Not just Duke Rufus, but whoever he was working with his boxing as well. His boxing really improved over the years. Um, but yeah, Anthony Pettis also has that flow to him. It's funny, I'm actually in my, in my own head right now thinking about the fucking uh, John Cavanaugh <laughs> Shouts to Coach Kavanaugh, uh, replied to to my breakdown article. And, and, you know, he's always got really interesting perspectives and was just talking about the word traditional in the context of MMA and how, you know, you really look at it and it's kind of a dated word. And, yeah, it's funny. Like, I could see his point there. and But it's funny that, you know, from the general pop to people who, like myself, who actually came up through those arts through making the jump still still hang on to that word. word so, anyways, I didn't mean to digress there, but... but uh, uh, Shouts to Coach Cav for weighing in. Um, but yeah, yeah, Anthony Pettis, you know, even though Taekwondo, which is, yes, your boy Dan Tom, I don't really like to count that as a black belt because I don't really think they should be giving. Uh, I earned it when I, I technically earned it when I was under 18, and I don't think that that's right. But your boy did compete on the national level, so I wasn't just your average uh, fucking kid using it for daycare and shit. And after that, of course, I was like, you know, kicks, I don't know how, how well kicks are. Got to round this out. And uh, I want you to go to Kempo Karate. This is more of actually uh, uh, Shaolin Kempo, more Chinese-based Kempo Karate. So pretty much had a more influx of hand techniques, but had a lot of the similar Kempo stylings. And uh, the reason why I like the Kempo Karate as opposed to Shotokan, you had more the light-footedness, which is, has to do to the point fighting, you know, kind of transit a lot of, uh, whether it's Kempo or Kyokushin, which is George St. Pierre. Both of those are more the point fighting uh traditional uh, karate's there. Uh, not to say that Shotokan doesn't have its own competitions. They do, uh, you know, hard body shots, kicks, sweeps, etc. But as far as more worldwide, yeah, yeah, that's that's the more predominant styles there. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a little biased, obviously. Real big fan of Kenpo Karate. And, um, you know, we've obviously moved on from an age of style superiority and, and singularity of styles, kind of the previous point. Uh, that uh, John Kavanaugh was kind of bringing up that I kind of just cited there. Yeah, we, we have moved on from those. But for some perspective, again, just for somebody who's kind of come from both these guys' styles, um, you know, I have bias toward both of them. But just as much as, you know, I believe, you know, Anthony Pettis' Taekwondo style is still going to have him ready for all the hook kicks, side kicks, and variations, albeit slightly different, um, 
they're more similar than they are than they are Muay Thai. So Anthony Pettis is going to be well versed to those and those counters, which is why I actually I think Stephen Thompson isn't going to be kicking too much. I think he's going to throw some out there for looks. Maybe he'll attach him at the end of combos, but I, I actually would be not be surprised to see uh, Thompson on his bike bicycle looking a box encounter um, Anthony Pettis for that reason. But uh, kind of the flip side, like I was talking about, as far as comparison and styles, again, this is not a hard and fast rule, nor is it a tack on either style, but just kind of a mindset to where I was, you know, all about Taekwondo, then eventually, you know, went on the journey to earn a, a black belt in Kenpo Karate. And, um, and even before I earned that, there were points I remember in my ascension where I was just like, you know, I really felt like that Neo in the Matrix moment, like, I know Kung Fu, and like, not that I was cocky or anything against my old instructors, but like, I, there were points where I'm like, man, I, I you know, probably because I was, a, you know, keep in mind, folks, you know, I was just like 15 through 18, 19 years old, so there's a lot of testosterone raging, and you're just thinking, hmm, I wonder if I could go back to my old school and kick the ass out of my, kick, kick my instructor's ass now. Because there was just so much more that I felt we were learning with the Kempo Karate than Taekwondo. And we actually even did some like grappling judo and like some shitty triangle chokes. We would have a share of our grappling days as well and, and, and do some boxing days as well. But um but as a martial art in general, there just felt like there was more tools. Now obviously Anthony Pettis so I can no no shy at boxing. Even when you go back in his early footage, he actually threw a good one too. Uh and he's always had a really good counter cross. He never really gets credit for it. Um and you look at the counter crosses, how Jake Ellenberger, Woodley, uh, McDonald, uh, there's a pathway there to land it. I just don't know if Pettis is going to have enough power to put him away. Uh, he had Tony Ferguson wobbly, but as much as I'm a Tony Ferguson fan, I'll admit he gets rocked all the time in his fights, right? And recovers. Uh, and maybe Stephen Thompson has a little bit of that, but he doesn't get rocked enough to have that. Although in Thompson's defense... He's been hit enough by hard enough hitters to know that we, he's got a good chin, he's got a good recoverability, heart, uh, all that, uh, and a bag of tricks. So I'm not sure how much play that counter right hand will have, but I do see Thompson's, uh, you know, he might not have a superior tool set to a guy like Anthony Pettis, who has just this ridiculous tool set that, granted, he hasn't leaned as heavy on. I do think he'll lean heavier on here. I just feel like the same thing. Uh, the same advantage that Thompson has over his other guys, uh, he'll still have over a guy like Pettis, which is that distance management. Now, again, Pettis will be more equipped to deal with it, but not so much the size, more importantly, the length and the distance manage. I think those are just going to be real tough for him. Uh, and Pettis has just been taking more damage, man. I mean, it's... He's a dude, like, early in his career, he would get a broken arm and come back and win the fight. Now, I feel like when... He empties his bag of tricks. There's not much left. And the fact that his lone three stoppage losses in his entire career came in his last five fights doesn't bode too nicely on that. So I'm actually going to take Steven Thompson here. Um, and he seems really confident coming in this fight, too. He's almost got like a chip, a competitive chip on his shoulder. I don't know if he feels the clock ticking or, you know, that frustrating loss to, to Till. Which, again, I, I, I think that the result, the Jorge Masvidal result, as shocking as it may be, even to people who were supporting, picking, and betting Jorge like myself, I think does kind of further drive the point home that Stephen Thompson was not himself, um, was not was not fully healthy, uh, which was obvious heading in, but even more obvious, I think, in hindsight kind of a thing. And that Darren Till fight in London, uh, not that we should go by MMA math, but when you look at the MMA math of how those guys played out, 
I think that frustrates Stephen Thompson. I think he comes in here and, like, my breakdown, I still stand to it. I think he gets that one-two down the pipe and uh, and gets it done. All right, uh, next co-main event time, we have Curtis Blades minus 255, uh, Justin Willis plus 215. Uh, odds a little, still a little uh, wide, just a tad bit, but they have come down to earth from what they were. I believe, you know, Curtis Blades was somewhere up like three to one favorite, Justin Willis, two to, you know, uh, two and change underdog coming back. Um, yeah, I mean, I took Justin Willis here, and uh, honestly, this, I like both guys. I can see why Curtis Blades is the favorite. He's been the favorite in all of his fights. I know Justin Willis got upset that I picked against him, but uh, that that isn't why I'm, you know, uh, picking a picking him here. In fact, if you remember, actually, uh, rebuttaled uh, Justin Willis on air and, and stood ground a little bit. And I dare say, I dare say, he respected that. Especially looking at how he's turning up on people now, man. Uh, listening to interviews and shit. Uh, I, I do listen to some UFC unfiltered from time to time. If the if they've got a fighter coming up, I'm just trying to absorb interviews. And uh, he laid it out on the English dude on that show, man. And uh, and it's funny, but but this is something that kind of we know on MMA Junkie Radio. We we got Willis pretty early on, and if you remember, we were the first people to get that story out of him as far as the child fights and stuff. And that's why I deemed him with Good Willis Hunting, which he appreciated that reference and name, Good Willis Hunting. And uh, so I get it. Um, he's going to be polarizing for sure. A lot of people aren't going to like him, and and uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to feel bad when he he gets humbled because, you know, no one's beyond that first loss in the octagon. He's already got a first loss in his career. But, uh, and I thought that was going to be last fight, a kind of a veteran loss, uh, learning loss. And this could be a learning loss, albeit not a veteran learning loss, but um, I've kind of took him the gas off of Blades. I was real high on him early despite the low sample size. I picked him against Ningano in the first fight, obviously in the second fight too. We saw how those go. I'm not going to get too upset about the stoppage, you know, although it was a weirdly timed one, but I do think he was hurt and it was probably going to end that way anyway, so I wasn't upset. Um, nor with the first fight. And the first fight is interesting because Ningano was using the southpaw stance and that pullback left hand, and that's how he closed uh, Blades' eye <coughs> and dropped him. So obviously Justin Willis, that's his main shot. That's what he's going to be looking for too. But Justin Willis looks like he's been getting better with his right hand as far as his jab goes. Granted, he spammed it and kind of stayed on his bike and took that road. And I appreciate the angle he's spinning on it. And again, man, Mark went over Mark Hunt even like that's no joke. So I'm not going to get uh, all up in arms about it. Uh, I get it. And to be honest, it was probably... Uh, more impressive in hindsight. You look at a guy that confident and young. You, you expect him to go in there and bang it out or fight stupid against Hunt. And he didn't. So there's two perspectives you can kind of take from that fight. Um, he uses his wrestling a little more in, in his regional career. And granted, it's against guys like, uh, you know, I believe like Mahoran or uh, other guys where he kind of will unveil it in the UFC. Um, but it's not bad, and when you look at it, Curtis Blades, not so much the percentages, those those will lead you wrong, I'm not a big stats guy in that, that, in that effect, but yeah, he does have, I believe, like something low on the 25 percentile, and if you look at it, when guys have shot on him, they've been able to take him down, now I think it's because Curtis, it's one of those things where you don't expect people to shoot on you, 
Um, you know, and we make such big deals about it, you know, and it's MMA wrestling, so it's a little different. You're going to get caught out of position, especially when you're learning the game, uh, which, you know, which is another reason we point to guys like UL Romero getting so much criticism, yet I believe that's also a, a viable defense on why high-level, strong, alpha, whatever you want to label, those guys check off the boxes, get taken down still, I would, I would argue. It's some of that. That being said... Boy, uh, I could really see Justin Willis messing him up by, by maybe catching him off guard, even with just one, or just enough to get in on his hips. And even if Curtis plays defends it, it just gives him that thing to think about. Um, and Justin Willis seems pretty good against the cage. The one thing I was worried about Justin Willis was his cardio. But uh, you you look at it and you listen to you know his own admissions of, of kind of guilt and turning things up. And now he's like kind of setting these certain heart rates, but then he goes in and not just he's setting a heart rate. And, you know, it's hard to tell when those guys look thick, but he is look a little better in that regard. I think he's just got that DC build, man. He's just naturally built like that. Like that's his natural weight. Because when you look at him from the backside, I know it sounds dirty, but if you look at his back to his legs, like you see a big, strong athlete in there. He's just kind of got that. Roy Nelson-esque belly, you know, he's kind of got that big build. He's probably was always like that since a kid. And I think he would just deplete himself if he uh, tried getting himself lower. It's not like he's even in striking distance at 205. So, I mean, why bother in that regard? Um, so, yeah, man, uh, wrestling is going to be a different cardio than standing on your back. But I think if he can just show good resilience for one round, he can start turning. I mean, I think a lot of people that maybe either picking Willis or just, you know, breaking this fight down fairly, even if they're not picking him, they think probably his best chances are catching blades early with something big. And that's probably true. I do think, although it's it's weird. Um, I, Willis obviously is not not an Ngannou hitter, but you can't. I'm not saying that because of the looks. You can't judge him by the looks. Again, I just kind of made the argument for his looks being deceptive. But I believe he's got more power than he looks too. That being said, I don't think he's this one shot dusting kill guy. Could he, you know, dusty off guy? Can he do it? Sure. But a guy like Blades, who looks like he's just got a ridiculous skull, that's hard to crack. And when he does crack, he looks like he's very hard to put away. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't discount it. Obviously, it can happen, but that's actually not what I'm counting on here. I actually think this could look like more like a Curtis Blades fight with Daniel Omielanchik, who, again, uh, less athletic, uh, less wrestling credentials, none, none at all. Even though you know Willis really doesn't have any either. Uh, although deceptively athletic, good striker, deceptively good fighter. I'm not trying to discredit Daniel Omielanchik, but he's a couple inches smaller, a couple inches shorter reach, all that good stuff. But he was able to focus on the takedown defense early and just stifle Blades. And Blades kind of sold out and thought he was going to have the easy route um, and uh, kind of emptied out his ga uh, gas tank, not to a point where he couldn't fight, but just kind of exhausted himself physically and mentally to where he had to stand with the guy. And then he admitted he didn't like standing with southpaws. Now, he won that fight, but it wasn't the prettiest fight. I get it that it was during Blades' early career. He was only a couple camps into Denver at that point. I get it that he's a lot better. We can't condemn him. And I don't know am I condemning him, but it is a kind of a style fight right there that points to what this could look like. Uh, it's a guy like a higher ceiling. Even if you don't think he's got a high ceiling or he's going to win, I, I would argue he's got a higher ceiling than Daniel Milanchuk, Justin Willis does. So um, I actually could see the fight turning out like that. Or, you know, Blades could could could, uh, could just, you know, 
go water boy on them and use all that, you know, Gatorade sucks or water sucks. Gatorade's better talk that Willis is, I mean, Gatorade, I mean, Willis is actually you know, saying much meaner things than that, but you know what I, you know what I mean? Uh, people on Willis's team compare him to, you know, Lenny from, uh, of Mice and Men. So, you, you know, he, <laughs> you could have that, you know, <laughs> retard strength switch. And he just turns on and goes, <laughs> freaks. Or it could work against him, which I think Willis is trying to do. Get him pumped up, get him, get him angry, get him wanting to wrestle and throw hard early so that he fails and then can take over. Uh, I'm going to take Willis. I'm going to take the shot on him because I picked him for that big of a dog, but it's nothing I'm going to the Mandalay Bay and dropping an envelope off tonight for, guys, So for what that's worth. But I did I did play Willis straight up. All right, next fight, John McDessie, minus 275 versus Jesus Pinedo, plus 235. Pinedo was somehow like a minus two-something favorite, and I think I probably – I can't remember, but I probably – even though I don't – there probably wasn't a lot of reason to pick Devin Powell. I got to imagine I picked him or at least played him out of fucking principle because I'm like, how does fucking uh, uh, Peruvian guy number 17 who fights from a southpaw stance and just spams a fucking liver kick? There's like seven of these fucking guys. They all fucking blend together. You know what I'm talking about? My God. Ma, I love South America. I love Peruvian food. I love Peruvians. I love South America. I love everything. I love all the fucking, all these fucking southpaws just fucking spam. Anyways, like uh, this guy, he he looked improved <laughs> from his USA debut than he did from his like, regional footage, and he still looked like trash. Like fucking him and Devin Powell were like two newborn deer in there, like fucking collapsing over themselves, like just constantly throwing themselves out of position, too fearful to go to the ground, but too fearful or but too inept to do anything. But other guy for the, to pull fucking guard. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. I, I just get upset that, you know, I just, you know, I, I beat myself up for being late on this podcast, but then I beat myself up, you know, for, uh, you know, uh, trudging through this. But then it's because I'm having to go through footage of, like, God, I don't want to be that fucking elitist fucking prick media guy on the end of a mic- fucking microphone here, but God damn, do I hate taking time to break people down that fucking clearly aren't UFC worthy, especially when it points to this problem that me and I know many have been drumming for a long time of oversaturation. And this is why, because we need to fill fucking cards and a UFC fighter, my God, is it not the fucking same, mean the same thing anymore. Jesus fucking Pinedo. All right. On that note, and this guy, like, guys who I've been, like, unfairly hard on, like, John McDessie, because, like, they came from traditional bases and did spin, spinning back fix, and they're awesome, and that's why, like, you know, people, uh, why he spec shouts to Jordan Killian, I know Jordan's a big McDessie fan, but I've given McDessie a hard time because there was that slog of decisions, I was like, hey, bull McDessie, and you know, I guess we get it, you hear, you fight decision, okay, to where, when he gets robbed by Yancey Medeiros, I don't exactly feel bad for it, because I was just like, yeah. <laughs> That being said, uh, I like this. I like McDessie's turn uh, being with Duke Rufus. I think Duke Rufus again. I've, I've said it before. Why uh, uh, I like that he, you know, Felder went with him, and sure enough, that's kind of paid off. And we've seen Felder grow. Rufus does great with guys who come from the traditional martial arts base and made the jump to the MMA. To the MMA to sound like a more ignorant old person there. Um, and we've seen that in his last fights. I think he. F- fucking rolls at minus 275 um that's the parlay piece here um uh, yeah i parlay yeah i, I parlayed him here um that's that that is the parlay piece john mcdessey against guy who guy who's been in the ufc forever against guy who should never even sniff ufc level easy easy decision 
All right, uh, Davison Figueredo versus Juicier Formiga. Figueredo is a favorite, minus 145. Formiga comeback, plus 125. I had a tough time picking this one. I was really looking at Formiga for the upset because I was just like, you know, Figueredo, I've been on this guy, but, dude, you know how Dan Tom is with anointing dark horses at 125. Like, it's the kiss of death. I said Smoker was a dark horse. I have said Bibliotov was a dark horse, and I have said Scoggins was a dark horse. That's my record so far, guys. The only other guy I've said it was a dark horse, Devison Figueredo. I know, this fucking really dangerous grounds here. Uh, that's probably why I didn't play this fight, even though I did end up picking Devison. I wanted to pick Juicier. I'm like, you know what? If Juicier can just... Juicier is a vet. Um, he hasn't, you know, I don't think he's really been rocked in a minute uh, off the top of my head. All he's, he's one of the best back takers. He's, he's not going to outdo this guy in a scramble. This guy's got good ground, but it's because he's like hurting guys and muscling guys and... He's going for a low percentage stuff, but he's just so freakishly strong. Figueredo is, I don't, maybe the veteran slash uh, well accoladed world championship level grappler for Amiga, best back taker in the division slash maybe in the UFC for Amiga, just has to backpack him twice and we get some dog money to cash, right? Quite possibly so, guys. And good luck to you if you took the shot. Um, I, I just have a hard time seeing it uh, for Amiga. He's been going to his wrestling more, which I like, and he's training at American Top Team, which these Brazilians seem to be getting, aside from Barral. Oh, Barral from the looks of it, but, you know, not from the performance-wise. But uh, these other Brazilian guys, they seem to be getting some kind of rejuvenation there. So I really don't want to underplay that. He's training with a lot of good guys ahead of this, including Shelton and some other guys lower on the card. Um, but Figueiredo, man, from his power... To just not tiring, uh, winning out certain exchanges, um, and just worry strikes from the clinch to the body, uh, even the certain types of shots he throws. When you go back to, you know, you forget Formiga was stopped by Dotson and these other guys, uh, Benavides, and you go back to those those things. And like I, I've seen Figueroa hit this, these similar shots, so I just so I just feel like as much as. Formiga could be that sleeper and could be that that one quietly bad matchup, perhaps. Um, I, I don't think so. I think Figueredo is the other way around. I think Figueredo finishes him, but uh, I haven't decided if I'm gonna play yet. I'm just I'm, I've I, I think I just because my respect for Formiga. Um, but if you are on either side of this fight, I, I guess I'm not hating. There's angles on each side of this fight. I'm taking Devison though. All right, next fight, Luis Pena, minus 235, Steven Peterson, plus 185. I feel like an asshole. I just looked at picks. This is another thing, like, between the UFC site being fucking all shit for fucking shit uh, and doesn't even fucking list what's on the fucking main card, uh, we have to go off of, like, the tapology sure dog inconsistencies and, and shit like that. And, yes, I already know what's on the main card. We were obviously emailed it in Junkie. We should do our picks in the beginning of the week, but... I totally forget. You know, I had to submit these kind of early, and then two of the two of the picks before I, I didn't get to it. And we can go back and change it. I just, I just hate doing it. It's a pain in the ass. Or like this week, I forget, and then I end up siding with Steve Peterson. Sterling Peterson, the Chicago Police Department. Um, Steven Peterson over Luis Pena. Um, just looking closer at the fight, I'm like, oh shit, this is at 45, and Pena's first time dropping down. And when I went to watch interviews, man, Peterson is fucking at Fortis MMA and dialed the fuck in, <laughs> looking to destroy. Whereas Pena, I don't know, man, I'm getting that kind of, uh, I like him a lot, his personality. I see why people like him, but kind of getting that kind of uh, aloof rock star vibe. Like, I don't really look too much at my opponent, but, you know, 
just gonna use my range. I'm gonna use my. Like, oh, you're gonna use your thing that you're gonna your advantage that you have over everybody. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like guys resting on their God-given shit and not working on their holes. Not saying he's not, but I'm just that's the vibe I got. And uh, I do see Steve Peterson getting on the inside. And the fact that I wake up this morning, Louis Pena missed weight. Uh, the, uh, the line went down. I got him at plus 210. But it looks like he's getting down to plus 195 now, uh, Steven Peterson. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be, uh, I know, I, I hate doing this to you guys, you know. Um, that's me just being a loop, man. I was, again, I, I, I was sleeping at weird times of the day. I was just taking multiple naps this week. In a bad, I'm going to be fucking tired. Um, and I was out of it. I totally forgot. I, I, I had this fight finished by, I think, Wednesday night. My analysis for it, but we had to, I think, have picks turned in by Tuesday night. So I was just, I just fucking, this is my bad, guys. I'm sorry. And I played them too. So I'm a dick. So hopefully y'all didn't go too much off them junkie picks. But that's why listeners protecting your podcast, you're rewarded even for dealing with my late ass on these episodes. So, uh, yeah, I think Stephen Peterson gets on the inside and gets his grindy grind going. Um, Pena's got deceptive wrestling for a tall guy, and I got to imagine it's going to be better at AKA, but. We've seen him uh, kind of uh, lose traction in fights too, and uh, I haven't, I, you know, I haven't seen enough from him to be sure. Whereas Steven Peterson, he's quietly been gaining that experience. I think it pays off for him here as the smaller guy. All right, Macy Barber is the next fight minus two fifty versus JJ Aldridge plus two ten. Um, since my parlay kind of is useless to you guys. Uh, because I, I did a, a three-piece, uh, two people from <laughs> three-piece, <laughs> uh, two people from this card, and uh, what do you call it? What you call it? Uh, Emmanuel Sanchez. Third person I was looking at, and I made just because the last interview I watched before uh, getting on here uh, this morning was uh, JJ Aldridge's on the MMA Junkie YouTube, and uh, man, I just I don't know. I hate repeat reading between the lines, but uh, and and she's one of those girls who I was getting on here to say, you know, I'm picking Barber. But don't underestimate Aldridge. She's a southpaw. It's be a southpaw for a southpaw matchup. She trains with tough people. Some deceptive experience, even though she's got some losses. She's really tough. She's um, getting better on the ground. She knows how to play the ring. Be barbered by decision. And it may still be barbered by decision uh, because they've trained together. But I'm more confident in Barber. Based on Aldrich kind of saying they train together and can read between the lines, I think even uh, Bone, Mike Bond, said, uh, asked, was like, well, Matt, what did you take away from those? Because she didn't really, she kind of left it off as an ellipsis. And good follow-up there, Mike. And she was like, uh, you know, I was just saying I'm confident from where I've come from. Like, she's not answering it. Like, ooh, that's not good. That means someone was getting tooled and practiced probably, and it might carry over here. And I mean that with all due respect. Uh, Macy Barber doesn't seem the type to be nice to former teammates. She seems like a determined, focused girl. Almost too determined. I almost worry about that. But uh, I guess, you know, we'll see how it plays out. She seems pretty, you know, grounded. Um, some people focus people around her. So hopefully, uh, you know, she keeps at her own pace and keeps doing her thing. And she does. She should be able to uh, get it here. Um, She's got the southpaw stylings, obviously, in the background to stand with Aldridge. But that underrated takedown and ground and pound, which is becoming not so underrated in these last few recent fights, could be the difference here. So I'll take Barber there. All right. Next fight. Oh, she could be a possible part of that piece, although she's not that part of that three piece. But uh, next fight. Uh, Barber Murphy. Barber Murphy. I don't know why else I have to say Bobby like that. I do the same thing with Amanda. Barber Hooper. Barber. 
say it like fucking Dusty Rose or something. But this guy is from actually from Chicago, and he's training out in Arizona. He's the favorite, minus 150. Versus Bryce Mitchell, who, you know, I think him and uh, plus 130's underdog, he is the second coming, and the Jason Knight is, is gone. He is the, the Cletus of the UFC. Hey, Ma, how many times you tell me one day? <laughs> no, he's, he's a very endearing guy. I know his scrotum sack has become the, the, the topic of sorts, and, oh, God, I just it just immediately got flashbacks. I'm probably going to see that on my timeline, huh? I know I know a couple people on my timeline are going to be posting the fucking bloody uh, boxer shorts and drill bit. Um, <laughs> by the way, I haven't seen that Neverland documentary, but I, I, I keep hearing excerpts and things, people talking about it, and like all the things they keep saying in little boys' underwear, and... And they would put on Michael's underwear, and then their underwear was in his drawer. And like, <laughs> I don't know if there's a montage of this, but I could just imagine somebody splicing in just a real quick, like, a splice in Bryce Mitchell's bloody underwear. Like, what the fuck is that? Oh, uh, damn. Why did you have to make that connection? Anyways, in Bryce Mitchell's defense, and wherever the fuck I was about to take that, uh, <laughs> this guy, when I actually sat down to watch him, he actually fights way smarter than he comes off, man. He he does some crafty shit in there. Uh, like that wrist control ca- triangle catch. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't know necessarily if he won that fight, but he did some really crafty stuff off there that is like beyond his um, IQ. And even the flashy stuff, he throws pretty well. Like those jumping switch kicks, like to when and how he threw it, I'm like, actually wasn't bad. Um, there's a lot of potential on this kid, Southpaw. Uh, he counter come forward, and he's 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 gonna make it a fight. That being said, Bobby Moffat's good, man. I, I I picked against him last time, and I still don't think that was in. Shouts to Chad Skelly, by the way. Uh, uh always been a, always been a fan of Chad Skelly, not not just because he's recently 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 followed me, but uh, but uh, that dude, man, he, he lays it down, and he even jumps on. Uh, speaking of uh, after battle, he even jumps on that show too. Um. I didn't catch the last one, but I've caught him on there before, man. That dude is sharp. So, shouts to Chaz. But, no, honestly, and that bias, I'm stating it now. I just wanted to say that bias aside. I, I, don't, I don't think that choke was in. You know, he was doing everything was right. I got re-frustrated with that again. And Chaz broke it down beautifully. You know, he's doing everything right. He's putting his elbow to the map because he couldn't fully clear. And uh, keeping, keeping space, keeping calm, doing the Homer Simpson walk to keep that space, to keep his legs away from Bobby Moffitt's. And, yeah, it's, uh, you wait for the guy to burn out in that case, and you take over. Now, he wasn't doing that great in that fight, as I remember, uh, which is, again, now rounding it back out to this fight, credit to Bobby Moffat. That, that, that guy fights uh, more skilled. You know, he's, he, he's kind of got that veteran vibe to him, even though he doesn't have the necessarily the uh, the resume to show it, although he has the check-off-your-bingo-cards Dan Morette win. Poor Dan Moret couldn't get that octagon win, but continues to pop up on these guys' resumes, right? Who do make it in the octagon? Um, but uh, and now they train out of the same same camp. There, he's got a lot of southpaws to train train at at uh, the lab. They're not short of southpaws at that camp. So yeah, I mean, I really like Bobby Moffat here. I think he's gonna. I think Bryce Mitchell's gonna make it a tough fight. I don't know if he's gonna be able to get him out of there because Bryce Mitchell's a guy that just surprised me in general. Looking at the tape, that being said, I still think Bobby. Moffitt is a, is a notch up on the stand-up uh, as far as he should be able to keep safe and his wrestling at the end of the day should be able to win out um, his wrestling and scramble. So I actually took a shot at Bobby Moffitt because it was low enough. Uh, just, you know, the old 1.5 for minus 150 there. 
All right, next fight, Marlon Vera, minus 160. Uh, comeback on Frankie Signs, plus 140. Man, this was a tough one. Um, I don't blame anybody out there for uh, taking the shot on Frankie Signs. Uh, this 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 looks like a dog or pass for me. This, this would be on my old avoid list for me. Now that you should avoid it, I think you could play either guy. I just I feel like it's just so volatile. I feel like Frankie Signs is going to be winning this fight until he loses it. I actually ended up siding with Vera. Um, but uh yeah man, I mean Signs is, is a dog, man. He 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 he's so consistent. He comes forward, he can counter with right hands. He sees eyes are still working uh, at his age of 38. You know, you can still see guys coming in and catching him on the way in. He still comes forward with abandon, strikes off the brakes, make everything count. Uh can scrambles, can can wrestle. Um you know, but uh you got to imagine his train's running out. I mean, he, he kind of overperformed in the fights that he did win, and some of the fights you could argue maybe he didn't win. I'm, I'm biased. I was on Marab in that fight, so obviously I was I was a little uh, scoring it for Marab there. But I mean, still credit to Signs. But you got to wonder at a bantamweight, he's going to be 39, or maybe 39 is going to be 40. I don't know how long does that last. Whereas Vera. He's getting better, but the, his process is just still, you know, he's, he's still, like, kind of turned off in his head and will allow guys to take the fight to him, like, Wooluji, 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 and getting his takedowns and stuff. And, you know, you're like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Wake up in there. And you can tell Colin o Oyama is, like, uh, getting pissed, too. He's like, come on, Cheeto, wake the fuck up. Uh, but that being said, uh, I think, I think, I think Vera's going to break him down toward the end of round two or in round three. I don't know if he's going to catch him in a sub, but I could see him dipping into a knee and falling out with body shots, um, and getting signs out of there. Signs has been hurt. And I think Vera can finish him once he gets him hurt. I just think he's going to be losing the fight until that happens, which makes it not a fun fight to bet either way. So, but I got Vera. All right, next one, Alexis Davis, minus 135. Jennifer Maya, minus plus 15. She's got the face that looks like she's related to Drew Dober there, doesn't she? Doesn't she? I want to pick her here as an underdog, you know? Um, especially uh, Alexis Davis. Like, she is, you know, she's, you forget, I just have her, and even just her body kind of pictured at 135. I get shocked, and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's actually been at 125 since the end of 2017 or so. Um, and she's, you know, kind of rejuvenated there, going down, also making the trek down to California where they're training with Team Alpha Male or CSA, which I think is a really good move. You know, Kieran Fitzgibbons for Muay Thai kickboxing. Um, and at least it's showing, you know, in her aggression. It's just she wears damage really badly, and she's going to go against a shootbox girl who can counter and get her groove. The problem is Jennifer Maya, like, when you look at her earlier fights or even her, she'll lose, like, early moments, and she'll get rocked, and she'll kind of come back and, like, five-round fights seem to suit her really well. Like, it takes her a while to kind of get her groove. But I don't know if she can afford to do that. I mean, I know her first UFC fight was the last one. So, I mean, you know, I, I know she performs better. But even when I went back and looked, like, she's got decent experience against decent girls. And eventually would come back and beat some of those girls like Vanessa Porto. You know, if you're going to play your seven degrees of separation, mark your bingo cards off. You want you want her on her team. She's on everybody's goddamn resume. But... Um, but she also gets rocked early on in fights too, and she's kind of complacent on the ground. Like she's good enough to where I, I don't think Davis can sub her per se, unless she really gets something slick. Uh, but she's not, also not that like aggressive enough to get anything going, attack or reverse position, or really get up. Um, 
the problem is Davis doesn't go to takedowns as much as she needs to, you know. She admitted that she didn't do it as much as she needed to in her last fight, even though it's been a couple of the fights that's been like that, which is good. The problem is, even though she lost, she's like, ah, I like my last fight. I'm having fun, and that's what's important. I don't know if this thing was the James Lynch interview. She's like, yeah, I'm having fun. That's why I got to keep going out and doing that. I'm like, but didn't you say that's what cost you the fight? You were too busy having fun, and that's why you just kept taking damage and maybe you weren't fighting smart, and that fight was a winnable fight for you. Maybe that should be the attitude, not let's go and do the same thing again. Like, I mean, that I just said got me in trouble. So I don't like that. Uh, but so I really wanted to go bet Maya and pick Maya here, but then I just wasn't convinced when I went back to watch the Maya footage. So I'm actually going to pick Alexis Davis, Davis, but this one is definitely on the avoid list. All right, next fight Angela Hill minus 150. Random Marcos come back on her plus 130. Again, folks, it's just like a lot of this is a hard, hard part of this card, too. You look at a lot of these people, and whether they are boring fighters, exciting fighters, fighters like a Jesus Pinedo who I just went off on, or fighters that I like like these two girls, this still isn't the common thread here. It's not the easiest footage to get through. There's a lot of fucking decisions, and your boy, between that and the antibiotics, already putting me to sleep this week. Dude, I was falling asleep so goddamn much trying to stay up for this fucking shit. On that note, uh, I ended up siding with Angela Hilliard. I was actually going to go for Marcos. As you know, I actually will take Marcos as a dog. It's not uncommon for your boy to back her up. She's just a hard girl to read because she'll say some things, but she's better than how her perception is. I think she gets a lot of that from the tough house. And in fact, you know, going off that old information, it could be dangerous because she does pretty good in these little revenge spots. That's what kind of wanted to maybe pick her here. You know, look how she did against Esparza. Granted, I thought Esparza might have won that fight. And again, that's what kind of makes Marcos tricky because she's won fights she shouldn't have. She's lost fights she shouldn't have. And maybe she's gotten draws, but maybe when she should have gotten the win. So, I mean, it's it's really hard to judge her value, which makes me want to jump on, take advantage of her, easy, Dan, as a dog. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh, but, again, when I go back and watch the tape, it's the consistency uh, whereas Angela Hill, not blowing you away, but she's consistent, and she's consistently getting better. I do worry about her toward the end of rounds sometimes, although she will steal on some rounds. But sometimes the gas looks, you know, like it's taking breaks, which I get it. It's a high-output style. I mean, there's a cost somewhere, right? So I think it's more of that than her maybe, you know, uh, work ethic or anything. She seems to have a great work ethic working with a great team. Um, and her takedown defense and, and scrambles are a lot better. And I think that was a, a, a reason why I took her here, too. Whereas Randa, she has good takedowns, but she's still going to those damn head and arm throws too much. And I don't like that. Um, when she's clearly, she has those skills to hit clinch trips and doubles. So she comes out here and wrestles a lot. Um, I could see her taking this decision. And uh, uh, I'm almost talking myself back into picking her. But no, I'm going to stick to it. I, I picked Angie. I'm going to stick to Angie. But this is on the avoid for that reason, folks. All right. Chris Gutierrez, minus 245 versus Ryan McDonald. Um, I like Gutierrez here. He's kind of a guy, too, where he's kind of, you know, inconsistent, not inconsistent but I, you know, he was honest about it. I mean, that was his UFC debut. It was short notice. He didn't get to train at uh, his usual spot of uh, Mark Montoya Factory X there. So I like that for him. I'm surprised Ryan McDonald doesn't train at Factory X because he's he's up in Nebraska. He's north of there. Um, I couldn't find any Instagram stuff. Does he at least train with? Does he at least make the connection through Anthony Smith? 
But I don't even think he trains at the same gyms as Anthony Smith, or if not, has that connection. Because uh, it's never mentioned in any of his regional fights that I could pull up. But this guy looks like a kind of a... Like, he looks like Wonderboy Thompson, but you know what he looks like? He looks like a Nebraskan... He looks like Nebraskan Oliver Enkamp. Uh, that's what this guy looks like, Ryan McDonald. He's got a southpaw stance, and he looks like, ooh, what's he going to do? Does he look like he's got those pull counters, right? Maybe some fancy kicks? Not really. He kind of just does a lot of it for show. Um, he's got some decent wrestling, but he kind of goes to it reluctantly, even though it looks like it works really well for him. And then he plays super conservative. Like, he'll do stuff like shoulder pressure and he'll hold position fine. But he's not doing shit with it. Like, he looks like he's an amateur-level fighter that's making his way um, over to the pros. I couldn't find his last fight, which was the most relevant one because, A, it was his last fight, but competition-wise. Because if you look at this guy's competition, it's really terrible. Uh, it's really terrible. I mean, he's fighting guys who fight in, like, the day of, who just, like, have bellies on them, like... Yeah, like, I think this is another case. They needed to fill some card space here, folks. Um, you know, and uh, this guy doesn't belong. So this is more of a, you know, rolling on Chris Gutierrez making a comeback. Uh, he's been in there with tougher guys. He's got to make his turnaround about now. Great camp, all that stuff. Deserved favorite against a guy who really just shouldn't be in the UFC. So I could fail here by backing, you know, Gutierrez and McDessie, guys I usually wouldn't be so heavy on. But you're going to give me minus 245 to minus 275 variance on guys that probably shouldn't be in the UFC. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and call those parlay pieces. And I don't do that that often these days, as you guys know. So, yeah. Uh, next fight. I'm almost going to make my mark here. Eric Shelton, minus 135. Jordan Espinosa, plus 115. And I'm just like, great. Another fucking guy, Jordan Espinosa. Who the fuck? Uh, but you know what? I actually like like this guy. I remember watching him contender series. I, I gave him a good grade there, and uh, watched his fights before that. And uh, it looks like he really came together. You know, kind of one of those dudes took some losses, needed some learning learning curves, but super athletic man. I really like his his counter uh, two threes, or, or yeah, you know, even he's got a nice three two or or three I should say. His, his check hook is really nice. Good front headlocks, which I, I really want to. I'm curious how it's going to play with Eric Shelton, but Eric Shelton, I mean, at American Top Team again for this camp, and it just really highlighted his wrestling and athleticism. I mean, he showed he, he could, you know, jump into dangerous guillotines against a guy like Joseph Morales. Joseph Morales came up a lot, and of course, I always think about that Cynthia Calvia post, but USC, give my friend Joseph Morales, give him a fucking shot. Sorry, <laughs> Joseph Morales. She gets so fucking chica in that, in that post fight. I love it. So now every time I see Justin Morales, I go, Justin Morales. But, uh, but yeah, no, no. Eric Shelton did really good when he was shooting for takedowns. He was chaining it. And it was it was nice because he was showing that he could hit those takedown chains, which are impressive. But the dangerous part about those second or third chain you have to hit, you're really extending your head out there. So against a dangerous guillotine guy like Justin Morales, it could be really dangerous. And uh, Shelton showed that he was able to navigate that. So I think he's able to navigate through the front headlocks of Espinosa, but that's real dangerous. Um, he's going to have to show it to do that in the first round. And if he gets to that first round, uh, then I think he's got it. Um, could you know Espinosa hit him with a counter early or late? Sure, but that's kind of Shelton's game as well. Shelton's got a really nice counter, mainly a counter right. Um, so that's going to be a two-way street. So I agree with the line. I'm going to pick Shelton. But this is too close. Kind of a wait and see. Uh, I think it's too close. Even if you like the dog here, I don't know if you're getting really that much value and there's that much promise on him. 
against a guy who plays real friendly to the cards like Shelton. All right, so how'd I do? As I oh, 47. Okay, not too bad, guys. Not too bad. I'll end this in the 50s, so I won't be look like too much of a liar when you check the clock in the beginning. Uh, when I say that, but okay, from top to bottom, I'm gonna recap picks and plays. All right. Uh, I'm taking Steven Thompson over Anthony Pettis. Uh, no plays, although I may sprinkle on the round three easy Derek Love and inside the distance for Thompson just to put my money where my mouth is. Uh, I'm taking Justin Willis over Curtis Blades as a dog, and I'm playing Blades straight up uh, because I picked him. Uh, though I'm not going to go to the casino for that one, folks. Uh, I'm taking John McDessie over Jesus Pinedo. Uh, Faith starts fade. Uh, parlay piece McDessie there for me. Um... Uh, Taking Figueroa over Formiga, but staying away out of respect. Good luck if you're playing that. Uh, again, don't listen to the junkie picks there. My bad, folks. My bad. I'll eat that pick if I'm wrong, and I won't take credit for it if I'm right. Because I am on Steve Peterson, and I'm playing him for plus 210. Uh, taking Steve Peterson over Luis Pena. Macy Barber, who I don't hate as a parlay piece. I'm taking her over J.J. Aldridge. Barbara Moffitt, who I'm playing at straight up at minus 150. My only straight chalk play over Bryce Mitchell. The squirrel-eating kid. Uh, I don't even know if that's true, but we'll go with it. Uh, Marlon Vera taking him over Frankie Sines. That's dog or pass. Pretty much an avoid for me, but you can take that. Uh, good good luck for you. Um, Alexis Davis, I'm taking him over Jennifer from my, but that's a big avoid. Angela Hill, I'm taking him over Marcos, but that's an avoid. Uh, Gutierrez, Gutierrez is going to tickle the gooch, hopefully, uh, at minus 245. Taking him over Ryan McDonald's. Parlay piece, Fades to McFades. And uh, taking Eric Shelton over Jordan Espinosa, also on the avoid list. Sorry for the uh, late episode. Kept it as short as possible. Hopefully that was helpful. You all know that I keep these timestamps so you can jump ahead. Uh, good luck this weekend, guys. We'll see you next week. We'll, I will do better. I will do better. Until then, good luck on your picks and plays. And always protect your neck.